Western travel media in particular is rife with tourism campaigns and travel shows that are practically devoid of people of color. To hear them tell it, black travelers are few and far between, and traveling while black is an anomaly. Sad as this is to witness, it's not altogether surprising. The quintessential globetrotter has long been depicted as white. But despite not being considered or targeted in mainstream travel marketing, people of color are traveling for fun, for work, education, and spiritual growth more than ever before. That was a quote from blogger Oneka the Traveler. Today, Alpaca Pals, we are facing a fact, one that Oneka summarizes so well. And that is that the travel community and the travel industry is overwhelmingly white. And it's about time we talk about this. So today we are chatting with Black travel consultant, Martinique Lewis. She's a digital disruptor. She wants to disrupt the whiteness of travel. And her work strives to change the existing narratives of travel by advocating for travelers that represent different demographics across multiple platforms. To do this, she works directly with tourism boards and travel brands with a mission to change the face of tourism forever so that everyone feels represented and gets to see themselves reflected. Welcome, Martinique. We're so glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks. So glad to be here. To dive right in, how did you get into travel initially? Um, Ever since I was a kid, my mom always made sure that we traveled. Um, it didn't matter where we were going. It didn't matter if it was a cross-country trip. It didn't matter if we were going to a different country. But since we were a very young age, she always made sure we did something once a year. Also, half of our family is Panamanian. So we had, so we grew up with those roots as well, with a grandmother who spoke Spanish. Um, and even being in California, in the Bay Area, there's so many people here where you learn about different cultures. So it was almost inevitable that I would be how I am today. And then when I was in undergrad, I studied abroad in London for a semester. And that's what really sparked my love for travel, even more so because London is such a melting pot, just like the Bay Area. And I was meeting people from everywhere, places that I'd never heard before. And I'm just thinking like, I want to go to these places and experience their culture and see the world from their eyes. And I just been traveling like that. Ever since I was probably nine years old, um, I also had a, a parent who worked in the airline industry. So we had benefits. And so that was another reason why we could just pack our bags and go. And we did. And even to this day, we're still using those benefits to our advantage. And it has literally allowed my whole family to travel around the whole world. Oh, that's amazing. And you actually make such a good point about growing up in a melting pot city, because now that I think about it, like even for myself, I grew up in downtown Ottawa. And now I live in downtown Toronto. And so I know so many people and I'm friends with so many people with diverse backgrounds. And it actually makes me more interested in travel because I hear about their home countries and then it makes me want to go there. So I think that's such an interesting parallel you make about how where you grow up might impact how motivated you are to see the world. But um, at what point did you start noticing a lack of representation in the travel industry? I would say grad school and shortly after grad school, because then I really started focusing on traveling. Like your time opens up a little bit more. Um, You're starting to make more money. So you are going different places. And 
going from a place like California and being in a place like London where there is nothing but diversity and then going to a place like DC where I was or Baltimore or even reading in-flight magazines. Like I love United's in-flight magazine. It's called Hemispheres. And reading through that and realizing, okay, was there anything that I can necessarily relate to as a young black woman? Was there anything I could relate to as a woman? Was there anything I could relate to as a black person culturally, as a, as a heterosexual person? Like I would always ask these questions and I started realizing like in travel promotions, especially the in-flight commercials, I was like, okay, there's never a black family in this. Or if there is anybody black, it's a black man and he's never with a black woman. He's always with a white woman. It was always things that I would notice and I'd be like, this is not right. But I didn't focus on it until probably 2017 because then I was always traveling, like literally always gone every other weekend. And I'm like, why is it Everywhere I go, I never see myself reflected in any of this. And so that's when I really started to advocate for it. Um, and then I realized, like, it's not only me, it's so many other people who don't see themselves reflected either. And that's when I decided to start doing the advocacy work and speaking out about it. Yeah. And I think, like, a lot of our listeners, obviously, like, I am white, so it's hard for me to understand the value of seeing yourself reflected and I think a lot of our listeners will share the sentiment because like, if you are a white woman, you are reflected in the media and that's like across all industries. And so is this common like for a person of color to note this when they're looking at different media? Absolutely. Because specifically with black travel and even brown travel. So now we're talking Muslims, Indians, um, Asians. One of the first things we want to know is when we travel to a place, are we safe? So one of the ways we know that we're safe and that we're welcome is if you show us in your travel advertisements, promotions, if you have a picture of us in this space on your social media platforms, if you include us, you know, in your travel, these are the first things that we look for. Is there a black community in this space? Is there a Muslim community in this place? Because we deal with racism every step of the way. People don't even realize it. And I'm so glad that you recognize it and that you even brought it up because I have a friend, um, his name is Michael Ball and he works for Traverse, which is an influencer, a travel influencer agency out of the UK. And he'll always say to me like, Marty, you have to break it down to me because I'm a white male. So I don't see it how you see it because I never am faced with this adversity. And I'm glad that he says it that way because I always have examples to show him. But yeah, when you are the majority, you're not realizing what's the minority until somebody brings it out or points it out to you. So if I want to look at McDonald's ads, if I want to look at bank ads that are from banks that are within an urban community, they're always going to show people of color. But when it has something to do with a higher status, it's never shown. Certain tourism boards might make the, might make the comment, well, we only are using people who are in our area, but wherever you go in this world, there's always pockets of minorities. And there's always minorities who own businesses. There's always a separate story to tell about somebody who has migrated there. But even more so, there are those natives who are there. You just decide not to show them in your advertisements and promotions. So yeah, it is a really big thing or I opener when I do bring it up and then people are able to say, oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. I never noticed it because I did always see myself reflected. I remember the first time I spoke out about it in the UK, there was a representative from Germany's Tourism Association and then there was a representative from a PR and marketing firm who handles Asia. 
And she said, I didn't even realize it was a problem because it's not as big of an issue over there as it is in America. And part of that is due to slavery and things like Jim Crow and all the racial discrimination. So we're always going to be on alert for that because of our past history within America. So even cultural differences from where you're from will make it different on how you notice it as well. Like it's really um, an advanced subject where it can be broken down into so many different pieces and reasons that people don't even understand. Yeah, that's fascinating. I remember like traveling in Asia and being really shocked at sort of like inter-Asia racism that happens. So like people in Northern Asian countries will be racist towards people from Southeast Asia. And it really points to like the complexity and the nuance involved in these kinds of like relationships between nations, I think, and between ethnicities. But then and another thing I want to touch on is I think like there's a bit of this unconscious bias happening because I was talking re- recently with a friend of mine about the blogging communities and I was like, you know, there's so many white women who blog and it's so annoying. Like, why don't people put more effort into diversifying the content that they're reading? And I think that this is where unconscious bias kicks in because I realized that I myself had a habit of just like following influencers and reading blogs of people that looked like me. But then when I started to branch out and read other people's work, like Oneka, for example, I find her work so much more interesting because it's a completely different perspective. She applies like different ideas to things that she writes about. It's just it's just different, which is nice, I think. And it makes the community more interesting, I think. I just thought like this concept of unconscious bias is really common within this industry. Yeah. And so you have to understand, like even this all has a history. So we could say like 10 years ago, right? Onika was one of the only black bloggers or travel writers that was out there. There was there was a few of them who are so exhausted by this issue now, they don't even touch on it anymore because they're like, we've been talking about this. So there's people like Onika Raymond, like you're saying, um, Eric Prince, the minority nomad, Gloria Tanamo, Glow Graphics, who you guys might know on social media. Um, there's Ernest, who also is known as Fly Brother. There's Curran McKenzie. Like there was at least 10 of them. There was this group of POC travel bloggers and travel journalists that have been saying this and screaming it to the mountaintops for the past 10 years. Just at that point, the whole diversity and inclusion thing wasn't as big as it is now. Right now, everybody is on the the diversity and inclusivity thing. And now you don't just see the struggle being between any type of race, but now it's, you know, disabilities or mobility and it's family travel and there's ageism like there's so many different things but there was this group of people like I was saying the ones who I just mentioned who have been talking about this and at that time it was only them but now you have travel because of travel influencers because of social media that is really put on a pedestal and now that it's a job to be a travel influencer you have so many more influencers of colors who have entered into this market now that there are so many different people to choose from there are so many different categories to choose from and now there is no reason that people should still be biased because back then you might not have known about onika but now that onika is 10 years in the game and absolutely killing it is on CNN is on the travel channel. Like 
yes, you, there should be a reason that you should hear about her. But there's also other ones now as well. So back then I could understand it, but now I don't understand it. And not only that, there's groups on social media dedicated to, you know, groups that have been left out. So there's fat girls traveling. There's black travel journey. There's the one that I work for. No madness tribe there's black travel gram there's gay there's gay people who travel there's so many different groups now that you could tap into muslim travelers that people just decide to ignore unfortunately still this is the same thing that i tell the tourism brands how they look up hashtags they could be looking up hashtags say gay travelers family travelers black travelers fat travelers body conscious travelers, Indian travelers, Muslim travelers, like there's so many different subcategories where social media makes it completely easy to use that there really is not an excuse anymore. On your site, you mentioned that one of your goals is to promote the black travel movement. I read an article from the Times that explained how historically black Americans have faced systemic barriers in travel, quote, Black Americans have a tumultuous history with travel just within the United States. Before the civil rights movement in the 1960s, Blacks were relegated to shoddy public transportation, denied lodging in hotels, and intimidated into staying put. And the article goes on to explain how since at least the 1960s, the U.S. Census Bureau reports that the annual income of African-American households has been on the rise, which means Black Americans have earned more money to spend. And they argue that the Black travel movement is a reflection of this shift. But aside from this article, I couldn't actually find a lot of explanation of the movement. So would you mind sharing with our listeners what it is and what it means to you and how it came to be? Sure. So the Black travel movement isn't anything new. It just has now has so much more recognition because of things like social media. But Black people historically have always traveled, but have always been stopped, like you're saying. So if you go back to the 1930s, okay, Jim Crow laws, um, Black people couldn't be in certain areas. And there was a resource called the Negro Motorist Green Book that was written by Victor Hugo Green in 1936. And it lasted until the 1960s, until the Jim Crow laws had stopped, right? So now there was something like segregation. But before that, this book literally navigated Black people up and down Route 66 in, in, North, or in the United States so that they knew the places that they can stop where they basically wouldn't die. You have to remember, if, if cops pulled you over back then, you could very well so go to jail. You could very well so be beaten to death. So the Negro Motorist Green Book lets you know the places that you can stay, that you can eat, that you can fill up on gas at, up and down Route 66, which at that time went from the Midwest all the way out to California. So I have one of those books now where I can go and I can see the different places that people could go. And every year, a different edition came out. So new things were entered into the market. So let's say you were driving through Tennessee and there was absolutely nowhere you can stay but one place. You had to make it there by nightfall because there was things called sundown towns that if you were caught in those towns after the sun went down as a black person, more than likely you would be lynched. So once Jim Crow stopped, that meant now that we could go into areas that we couldn't go to before. So you saw the rise of a black um, accommodations and then you saw the fall of it because now we could be integrated into white spaces. So whereas we couldn't go to the certain beach in Atlantic City, we had Chicken Bone Beach, 
that allowed us to go and be there as a family. But now that we can be integrated with the beach down the street, we decided to go to the beach down the street. So you have places closing now because it no longer had the black support because now we could be integrated in different things. But even before that, people don't understand the whole psychology behind this. So when you say price gouging, what did you mean? If a white family went to a hotel at night, they would be charged $63 to stay at that hotel for three nights. If a black family showed up, they'd be charged $563. Yeah, and you can say, okay, well, let's take it a step deeper. Why weren't black people traveling to Europe during those times? Well, because tourism agencies, like your travel agent, they would never show black people anywhere in Europe. They would only show us the Caribbean because that's where more black people were. So that's why you didn't have black people traveling to Asia or even the other way to London, Paris, all of that in the beginning because nobody ever gave us those opportunities. Nobody ever showed us that. So it's so much more complex and has a psychological aspect behind it of, I don't want to get in the car and go visit my mother from Tennessee down San Francisco because if I have to stop and they tell me I can't fill up my gas and I'm caught out there with my kids, we could lose our lives. So it was very, very, very serious. Now, now, with the black travel movement, which we have seen such an increase in in the past five years, is because of social media. It's because of tribes or it's because of communities like the one that I work for, Nomadic Travel Tribe, which is now 11 years old and was the first place that people of color, specifically black travelers, could go to figure out where other black travelers were in different countries, places we can go that we could still be, that we could feel safe in. So it was like a modern day Green Book community. And then other communities came out of Nomadish Tribe, like another popular one, Travel Noir, which has also been around. And they were able to break the mold between Black people and luxury travel. So now if you had more money, which Black people do have a lot of money, one of the things we were doing was to travel. And then you started seeing actual places like Travel and Leisure, like Kane Nash Traveler, showing Black people traveling. So not only did Instagram play a big part in it, but then editorial things started to go. And then there's a research that comes out every five years called Mandala Research. It's based out of New York City, and they give actual stats on how much people are spending. And this is one that the tourism industry started realizing how much Black people spend. So if Black people are spending $63 billion plus on travel, we're talking about Black Americans, okay? Then imagine with what Black Europeans or Black British people are spending who have 21 days, 21, 30 days of vacation time, right? And they make two times more than we do. And it's so much easier to travel throughout the UK and Europe. So it made us realize, like, for one, they're not tapping into our community. But for two, that we are traveling because we see it throughout this Black travel movement through social media where now you can be a black traveler and find people who are just like you. A lot of these communities run group trips, so you're allowed to travel now with other black people, and they run group trips to places where there are other black communities which you might not have known about. So if you want to go to Amsterdam and you want to want to hook up with the Surinamese, Guyanese, or the Arubans there, or, the black, or what we call the Black Dutch, then there's an actual group for that. So the black travel movement is so big now, and it is a safe space for black travelers worldwide now to connect with other people who look like them when they're traveling from country to country. It's just something that continues to grow. Right. Because I'm going to go back to the community thing, actually, because I think like this, this social media community presence, like I can speak to my own experience. I joined the group Girls Love Travel probably like 
10 years ago. I don't even remember when. And I remember as a teenage woman being very inspired seeing other people travel, other women. And so I can understand how these community groups really inspire you and show you that like, look, other people are doing it. You can do it as well. And it is accessible. And anyone that tells you that it's not, they just don't know what's up. People, people are doing it. Here they are. And this explosion happened like really in the last 10 years. And I guess it, what you're saying is it aligns with the sort of economic boom of travel where it became more accessible because of these uh, airlines that were cheaper to fly on. Absolutely. So before there wasn't a place where other black people can go and see where other black people were actually, you know, traveling to. We, we didn't know, but social media has greatly helped that and impacted that. And additionally, I want to say also, this is ways also that we work with tourism boards because we can post a picture from a place that normally is not visited by black people and then we can send those results from the picture from the comments to the sins and the saves to tourism boards and saying you really should change your media to reflect this because I posted this to my community of 76,000 travelers and this is the response that it got so that also helps us moving forward. Mm -hmm. So now you can leverage these communities, essentially, to prove to tourism boards that you guys deserve space. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, like, just the, the actual experience of traveling Black. I know a lot of bloggers write about this, but I've also read about how um, when you travel black, like it can sometimes mean that you experience being othered a lot while you travel. Could you speak to this a little bit just so our listeners understand like the experience as it compares to their own? Yeah, of course. So for one, you can travel while black and be listed like that in your own country. It's happened to us a million times, even though <laughs> slavery is over, even though Jim Crow is over. There's still places I can go to Alabama where I'll be stared down because I'm a black woman in the very southern parts of Alabama. But additionally, what you're speaking about here is like when we go to places like China or India, where they might not have ever seen a black person, you get stared at, they ask you if they can touch your skin, they ask you if they can touch your hair because they honestly just have never seen you before. It's not necessarily offensive to people unless you are just easily offended and not realizing that these people have never seen somebody who looks like you before, but that's what it is. Now, you might go somewhere else where their initial thought of black people is something negative. And so when you come in, they clench their purses. When you come in, they don't even serve you. When you come in and there's a group of you, you can be sitting waiting there for 40 minutes to an hour before they even wait on your table because they want you to get up and leave. And this has happened multiple times to all of us. I luckily have not experienced this more than once or twice, but I have felt the impact of it also. I was in uh, Latvia and it was late at night and I was walking because I was so hungry and my timing was off in general. And they kept pulling over to the side because they thought I was a prostitute. And I just was like, excuse me. But then I had to remember also in those places when they see anybody of my color skin previously, some of them must have could have been prostitutes because when African women traditionally go there, they won't give them jobs. So their only job is to be a prostitute. So you, it's like when I say it's a complex issue, it's so many different complex issues from country to country. Literally, you might not know what it is. Italy, I've heard so many things about when you travel to Italy, they're not going to like you. And then I was in northern Italy 
all last June and nobody said anything to me or treated me any different type of way. But normally, unfortunately, you do have to go through those negative stereotypes that are placed on you before you even get to a place. And I want people to understand that as a black traveler, it gives us anxiety. If you can imagine what a Muslim traveler feels like when they go through TSA post 9-11 or post September 11th in America, it's the it's an equivalent thing to how black people feel traveling, right? So now when you go through TSA as a Muslim person, you don't really want to wear your traditional dress because you know they're not even going to let you go through the scanner. They're going to do a personal search on you and people are going to treat you like you're less than because of their negative stereotypes that they've ever placed against anybody who looks like you. So it gives us anxiety. And then you have to say, okay, Am I going to let my hair out today because people might touch it? And people don't understand personal space either. It's like, please do not touch my hair. Put yourself in my shoes. How would you feel if I just came out of nowhere and touched your hair? Or if I asked you a question, if I lick you, will you taste like chocolate? It's like, what in the world are people thinking? And that really happens. People are like, that doesn't happen. I'm like, yes, it does. Like, I promise you, there's no way I can make this stuff up. So it's very interesting to see. Um, it's very interesting to see when you go to hotels, the hotel room that they'll give you based off of the color of your skin. A lot of people think it doesn't happen. It does. It's oftentimes unfortunate, but that's why there needs to be people like me who continue to speak out about it. And that's why there needs to be people like you who continue to help me advocate and get this this message out there so more people are aware of it and so that it could change. And not only for black travelers, but for everybody who feels like they've been left out for any reason. I imagine it's exhausting to like know every day abroad or like even to not know what will happen to you that day, who will try to touch you or who will like. Yeah, it is. And part of it is like, let's say you're an expat or black female or male and somebody genuinely likes you. You don't know if somebody genuinely likes you and wants to date you because it's like a taboo, right? Or if they think you're a prostitute, like literally that, that those type of things really do happen. And it is so exhausting. If you have tough skin, then you are used to it by now, even though you shouldn't have to be like me. I'm very, very used to it. I know if I go somewhere and my hair is not slicked black or it's not in a ponytail and it's just out, people are going to ask me to take pictures. People are going to ask me to touch it. I just know that. And I don't necessarily always have a problem with it. Sometimes I just say no. Even like I remember I was in India and like literally this one guy with his three kids asked me to take a picture. I turned around. There was a line of people waiting to take pictures with me. And I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh. And at this time, I was tired. I was hungry. And you don't want to be like, no, thank you. But you have to like cut the line somewhere. So you're like, no, I'm not taking any more pictures. But things like that happen. And you don't know where they're putting these pictures at. And then the whole like if it's a tall black guy they're calling you michael jordan if it's a black girl with braids they're calling you alicia keys like it's annoying more than anything but you have to understand people mean well by it but and you can tell by people's tone you know whether or not they're being negative or whether or not they're just unfortunately ignorant they just don't know right so like you mentioned that black travelers often will have to have a really tough skin is there like stuff that you recommend travelers do ahead of travel to like try to reduce the amount of I mean like you can't really reduce racism but are there things that they can do to like help prepare at least mentally for what they might encounter when they travel yeah one of the reasons I love the black travel movement is the black travelers who have surfaced who will tell you what to expect when you go to a place because either they're expat there or they traveled there before and they made that vlog on YouTube or they wrote about it 
on their blog. And that really helps. So anytime I go anywhere, I literally go in to YouTube and type in black in that place. So I'll put black in Latvia or I'll put black in Tbilisi. Like literally those are the different things that I'll add. And more than likely, there's always something on there. Um, I always also recommend people to look up a Facebook group because more than likely, there are other people who have traveled to that place before you or who live in that place who are able to give you like up to date information and able to give you things if you're having any, any anxiety or you're feeling unsafe. So I'm a part of so many black and different places. Um, part of it is because this is what I do. I research a lot. And how I was talking about the green book that used to be out between the 1930s and the 1960s, I'm releasing one this year. And it's not necessarily so that we don't lose our lives, but it's also for black expats and black travelers who want to connect with other black um, people traveling. So I list black restaurants. I list black beauty supplies, black beauty salons, black museums. And it doesn't matter where you are, black accommodation. So like Last week, I finished Alaska and actually Canada. So I'm able to list the different restaurants that are there. If there's any black accommodations there, if there's any black taxi services, if there's a black Facebook page, if there's a black chamber of commerce there, just so black people feel more accepted and feel less anxiety when they're traveling. There hasn't been a resource out there like that yet. Although in America, like it's very big to, to say, okay, there's these Black-owned restaurants that you can support when you go abroad. There's nothing collectively that tells you, okay, when you go to Amsterdam, go to Hersto, uh, which is a hostel run by a Black lady, or take Jennifer Tosh's Black Amsterdam tour, or you know, eat at Black Star Cafe. And there's also nothing to say if you're Black and you live in Alaska, this is the Black community that's in Fairbanks. This is the Black community that's in Anchorage. And there's nothing to say, okay, if you're Black and in Taiwan, there's these three Black beauty supplies that you can go to if you need hair products because there's nowhere else to buy hair products for your type of hair. So I wanted to make sure I created these books so that Black people felt safer and that they could connect with people that look like them. Because oftentimes when we travel, we want to go to the Black community. We want to eat the food that they make. We want to inject our dollars back into these businesses because they might not necessarily get the support of the people around them because they don't look like them. So it's really going to be exciting to see what happens in these next five years as brands start to catch on more, as tourism bars start to catch on more, as travel influencers bloggers, journalists, black ones start to get more work because it used to be, you know, that we would have to literally work 10 times harder than the average white person. Um, they weren't paying us the same rates and they thought that we wouldn't notice, but a lot of them don't realize additionally that there's a black Facebook group for travel bloggers that attend travel conferences, period. So we always talk about stuff. Like I always tell any brands that I have relationships with, if you could be a fly on the wall in this group, to see how they are either laughing about you or talking about you because the things that you produced were so ridiculous and were not inclusive, not only our community, but anybody. I was like, I promise you, you would change the way that you do things. And the black travel movement right now is powerful enough to boycott someplace and lose money out. People would lose money out on it. Yeah, totally. And you made me think of this um, stat that I saw on your site. You noted that studies show that 70% of multicultural travelers are going to book accommodations and travel experiences with companies where they see themselves reflected. So there's actually like so there's so much potential for for brands to tap into this for themselves economically. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the first thing millennials do and probably and not probably, but and Gen Z 
when we're going to a place, we're going to hashtag it first on social media, more than likely on Instagram. And we want to see who's there. We want to see the hotel that we're staying at, what type of things they post, because that's going to tell us right then and there whether or not we're going to give them our money. And it's based off of what we see in it. And it's like, it's not hard to repost a beautiful picture. It's not hard to hire a black or brown person. It's not hard to hire a blind person. It's not hard to hire a person in a wheelchair because that way we know that we're welcoming in your space and that you're thinking of us. And we notice that through your social media because that's what we look at. We don't necessarily do TripAdvisor anymore. You know what I mean? We're, we do look for peer recommendation, but if somebody told me that they came to your hotel and they had a bad experience, guess where I'm not going to go to? So once the whole industry gets on that bandwagon or, or, or gets on that ship, they'll start making so much more money. And like for people like me who speak at travel conferences all throughout the year, um, I'm always talking about these examples and either people are going to agree with me and support you or agree with me and not support you based off of just what I say. So I always try to tell brands like you have such an opportunity to tap into communities that you normally have not tapped into with your social messaging just alone. Mm-hmm. Based on your experience doing the work that you're doing, do you feel that things are starting to change? Like, are you seeing the industry shift at all? Or like, what's your sense of that? The industry is shifting, but it's a slow shift. And I'm okay with that because I don't expect anything to change overnight. I am grateful for the brands like Norwegian Air that have Anders Lindstrom as their director of communications who cares about diversity and travel and will hire all black people to go on a press trip because they understand and they appreciate the black narrative. And there are multiple brands who feel this way. REI is, a, is another excellent example of a brand who understands like outdoor is not only for one type of person. Outdoors has no color, and this is why we show everything. Outdoors has no mobility, and this is why we show everyone. The brands that do acknowledge it are leaders in this industry, and they are able to successfully show campaigns as case studies that did very, very well because they tapped into markets that they normally wouldn't. So yeah, there are people out there who are amazing. And then there are brands who had no idea until somebody sent them the diversity and travel report card that I, that I did, that it was an issue within their brand. But now diversity and inclusion is used so much Whereas it used to be a buzzword, I want people to understand that it's not a buzzword, it's a call to action. Diversity and inclusion, you're not just saying it for the hell of it, it's a call to action. What is your brand doing to make sure that internally and externally, it's diverse and inclusive of everybody who works there and all the travelers who support you? Once that happens also, we'll start seeing the shift. So right now the shift is small, but it is happening and I'm super, super excited and proud of that. Because there are people out there that I know that really care. That's incredible. I'm really happy to hear that. Could you tell us what the, because I saw this on your website, actually, the diversity and travel report and scorecard. It seems like you put them out periodically. What are these scorecards doing? Right. So last year I was like just fed up. I injected myself into the industry. I went to every single travel conference that I could go to. And I just showed up. Now, for one, I was probably one of the only black people that they saw. They didn't know who I was. And I was very vocal. I always made sure I had a question at the end because I needed to be heard. And I needed people to understand that this is an issue. So after 2018, the beginning of 2019, I wrote the first one where I graded based off of um, based off of a rubric that I created for myself. 
and you can tell the difference between last year's and this year's because I was so angry the first one where I'm just like you 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 and I'm gonna point this finger this finger and this finger and I'm gonna drag you on social media and I'm gonna call you out but then I realized all of 2019 that that's not the way to create change so I took a different approach to it I said okay instead of calling out these brands I'm gonna call them in but I'm also gonna give case studies and examples of brands who are doing an excellent job and I'm going to give the case study so brands who, who say, okay, we know we need to add diversity and inclusion, but we don't know how. I was now giving them a blueprint on this is how you can do it. So every year I decided to come out with this. It's something that people do look forward to. And a lot of brands do reach out after it and ask me to come in and do some type of diversity and inclusion training within their internal team. Because like I always tell them, if internally your team doesn't look diverse and externally the work you put out isn't not going to be diverse because there's not going to be anybody who stops you and says, okay, there's nobody with mobility issues or there's nobody who's differently abled or there's not a Muslim person in it or, you know what I mean? There's so many different aspects that all boards need to be top of mind and thinking about that they need to hit. So the diversity and inclusion scorecard or report card has actually become really instrumental and a lot of brands are taking heat and I'm glad about it. So as the year goes on, if anybody sees phenomenal campaigns, send them to me. I want to see them too. More than likely, I already see them because I live and breathe diversity and travel. But yeah, that's what the diversity and travel scorecard is all about. And it led me to you guys. So that was even better. (laughs) I can totally relate to like the anger that you felt in the 2018 report. I was going to tell you my back background is in cinema studies. So my whole master's thesis was about lack of POC and representation of women in cinema in the film industry. And every time I would read these reports, I would just like finish them really angry because like the improvement would be so dismal that I would be like, this, nothing is changing. Like it just makes you feel like change isn't happening. But like you say, it has to be like really small and incremental before we actually notice it happening. But I'm Glad that like you're you're aware that it's changing because that proves that like your work is working. Yeah, and it's all about having allies. When you can find those people at those companies who will vouch for you and who really, really understand it, which I've been completely blessed to find, then after that it's a wrap. They're always there for you. Always. Anything you need, they're always there. Um, when it comes time to showing the rest of their team or showing the rest of the industry, they're always gonna call you or pick you so it has led to so many other things but I tell brands all the time like you have to build the authentic relationship because we're going to know if it's not authentic or not if all of a sudden you just put a black person in the campaign and we've never seen black people in anything that you've done like we're going to know okay this wasn't really authentic but when we know that you're constantly inviting black people or brown people, or people in wheelchairs, or blind travelers, or that you came to a conference where you said, I only want to meet with, you know, inclusive communities, and we saw you meeting with all these people, we know that you really want to change some things. And I know people are like, well, how can it not, how are you going to ask us if we're authentic if this is the first time you see it? And a lot of times we can tell by the messaging. We can tell if you really did your research. We can tell because you show up to to things that people of color are speaking to. We can tell because you show up at these influencer conferences and you want to work with people who look differently traditionally from the people who you look for. Or we can tell by the people who you pick to go on campaigns. So yeah, it gets very, very interesting. Can you tell also by like the workforce themselves, by the people they're hiring? Absolutely. You can tell almost instantly what somebody's back in or what somebody's ex- internal team looks like based off of what they put out externally. 
always, always. So what do you think like in the coming year or like few years are like areas of focus when we're looking at like diversity in the travel industry? Um, I just think diversity and inclusion as a whole. I mean, we'll start seeing so many different kind of people being represented. You'll start seeing the non-traditional person being used. And I, I'm so excited about it. Like I, like I said in that report card, like I can't wait to somebody uses a Muslim female in a burkini deep diving somewhere. Like, yes, they swim too. You know what I mean? It's just, I, I, I would love to see stereotypes broken through these campaigns. It's going to be phenomenal to see because the industry is listening. And I just can't wait, honestly. It'll be a, it'll be a happy day. <laughs> what are things that you think that white travelers can do to be allies to black travelers within the travel community? And this is just like for just like a random traveler that's on the road. Like wh- what are things we can do and be aware of to, to do our part in this? Yeah, I definitely just say if you're a travel blogger, travel influencer, photographer, videographer, start writing about it or start taking pictures of people of color, start taking pictures of differently abled or able bodied people and show those on your platform as well. Because when you start speaking about it, so will your community. And people don't understand, like, there is so much influence right now through social media where I feel like people should use it for good. But also when there are these travel conferences, um, because like you said, you're a travel blogger. Do you go to any travel conferences? No, I don't. I don't have enough money to. <laughs> don't worry. I got you, girl. I got you <laughs> on these next few. I got you. Um, when you go to these conferences, always support the diversity panel because they'll always give you ways as well to be able to speak out against the injustices you see. When you're working on a campaign with the tourism board, ask them what people from a diverse or inclusive you know, community, do you have coming on this trip with me? And if you don't, you should think about it twice because they value what you say, period. Or one thing I always ask, specifically when a, when the tourism boards brings me out, please change my itinerary. I don't want to see the things that everybody sees. I want to go where any minorities were. I, t- I did a, a press trip to Billings, Montana um, this past October, which I absolutely loved Montana. Didn't know I was going to love it the way that I did. And I spent my whole time just going from minority community to minority community. I hung out with the Native Americans there. I hung out with the actual Indians from India there. I hung out with the Mexicans there. And I hung out with any black people that I could find. Because when black or brown people go to Montana, they're going to want to know where to eat. You know what I mean? They're going to want to know where they can see people who look like them. So those are the stories that I was interested in telling. So I always tell people, like, when a, a tourism board set your itinerary, make sure that there's actually some culture in there. Not actually some culture because obviously every every place has their native culture and then they have extra like culture sex, but make sure it's a mixture of both. So you learn about, you know, the East Africans who are in Georgia or you learn about black Parisians who are in France and not just the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre. Like there's so many other communities there for you to learn about. So it's really about you speaking up. And people are saying, well, if I speak up, I'm afraid that I'll lose business. If that brand doesn't want to work with you because of that, you shouldn't be supporting that brand anyways. Because they don't support everybody. And you have to think about what you want your personal mission to be. So, yeah. yeah. That's a really good point. Actually, like recently I realized, because I do like some press trips in and around Ontario and Canada, and I realized that like I need to just start asking them to include 
Indigenous Canadian experiences in in the itineraries because I've noticed like Canadian bloggers never write about Indigenous activities or communities that you can visit and it's such a shame because like this is something that needs to be highlighted in Canadian tourism and it's not being highlighted and I think you make a really good point about how bloggers we have we have the toolkit to change that we just have to start demanding it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know I met with a lot of Canadian tourism boards and that was the first thing I asked. Well, what do you have here about the Native Americans? And they just were looking at me and I just was looking at them and I said, because those are the stories that you need to tell. Those are the untold stories. We can go on your website and your social media and see what's there. Right. But tell us the things that we're not going to normally find that aren't the most popular, but that are the stories that shape this community, that shape your destination and has been left out. So yeah, that's that's definitely, I, I'm glad that you said that. Kudos to you for even realizing that. Well, I honestly, like in the community that I'm in touch with here in Toronto, I'm part of the Toronto blogging community. It's really amazing to see like how many bloggers actually are starting to think about this. So even I get like a little bit of a sense that diversity is becoming more important within the industry, which which makes me hopeful for the future. Excellent. Thanks so much. This was great. Holy shit. Like information overload, overload. <laughs> but I think like it's going to be really well received and people need to hear this. So thank you so much for. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. For coming on. Alpaca My Bags is hosted by me, Erin Hines, and it's produced by Katie Lohr here in Toronto. If you guys liked today's episode, let us know by leaving a review. To do that, just tap the review tab in the Apple Podcast app and then leave us five stars. I mean, assuming you think we deserve it uh, and also a review. Um, Doing this really helps us in the charts and it helps us reach more people with this podcast. So if you want to find us, just head to Instagram or Twitter and look up at Alpaca My Bags Pod. And feel free to reach out and say hi, because we love hearing from you, Alpaca Pals. Until next time, I hope you get to Alpaca Your Bags soon. And remember, take that train instead of the plane. <laughs> <laughs>